in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, true biblical prophecy is always revelation directly from God. Whenever you encounter the word prophecy or prophet, that's what we're talking about. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are spiritual gifts given to believers today? And if so, how many and in what way? Which spiritual gifts are a result of nature and nurture, and which are focused more on the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit? Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part three of a series titled Gifted to Serve. Tom is in Romans chapter 12 on the subject of spiritual gifting, the gracious equipping of certain desires and skills that every believer has received in service to and to the benefit of the church. Think about this. When God empowered certain men to perform miracles, it was always a prophetic sign. There were three primary periods in biblical history in which God worked miracles through uniquely gifted men, whom He miraculously empowered. But what about today? Has God uniquely empowered certain believers to perform miraculous acts here and now? Let's join Tom to find out more here on The Word Unleashed. Romans chapter 12. We're studying... Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. Let me read it for us again. You follow along in your copy of the Scriptures as I read this inspired word from the Apostle Paul. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, So we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. This passage, as we have discovered, reminds us that God has gifted every Christian to serve. And in light of that reality, Paul gives us here two basic instructions about that responsibility. Using our giftedness is a priority, the Apostle Paul, but we have to start before we use it responsibly. We have to begin by thinking about that gift accurately, and and that's the message of verses 3 through 5. And and having established that foundation, we've looked at that carefully, he goes on then, secondly, to say that we must use our spiritual gift responsibly. That's the message of verses 6 through 8. We've learned that using that giftedness responsibly is only possible when we first understand the New Testament spiritual gifts. And so, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at that together. We've studied a comprehensive list of the New Testament gifts. We've looked at the basic New Testament categories of the gifts, the miraculous temporary sign gifts, as well as the permanent edifying gifts. Last week, we even looked at some basic definitions for the gifts that are listed in the New Testament. 
And then finally, we looked at practical steps for identifying our own giftedness. Now today, I want us to begin to study these verses in greater detail, and and as we do so, we discover a second perspective on using our gift responsibly, and it's this. Not only do you need to understand the New Testament spiritual gifts, but then understanding it, you need to use your giftedness as your primary ministry within the context of the church. That's the main message of verses 6 through 8. Notice how he begins verse 6, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. That first expression in verse 6 is really just a summary of what Paul had already said in verses 3 through 5. That is, all believers have spiritual gifts, spiritual giftedness, and, and that giftedness differs in kind and capacity based on God's grace that He has uniquely and specifically decided to bestow in our own individual cases. In light of that, notice verse 6 goes on to say, in light of that reality, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. Now, you'll notice the words I just read are in italics in the New American Standard. That means the translators added those words. They're not in the original text. They added them to help us understand. And the reason they added this command is because the phrase that's attached to each of the seven gifts here in this list, the phrase implies a command. Notice the first one, verse 6, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith. That expression and the other expressions that occur with all seven gifts contain an implied command, something like use it or exercise it. And so most translations assume there's, there's an ellipsis, there's something omitted here, and that was a command by the Apostle Paul to use it. That's why the NAS says each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If you have the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says, let us use them. But either way, what you need to see is this isn't just a list of gifts. It's an exhortation to use your giftedness and to use your giftedness as your primary ministry within the context of the church. Now, we're going to examine all seven gifts that are listed here. Next time, Lord willing, we'll study the final six gifts, the permanent edifying gifts, and and again, finish this paragraph. Next week is the conference. The week after that, we'll come back and hopefully finish this paragraph together. But today, I, I really need to concentrate on just the first spiritual gift Paul lists here. And the reason for that is because it has caused so much confusion in the church of Jesus Christ today. It is a miraculous, temporary sign gift, as we've seen the categories. It is the gift, notice in verse 6, of prophecy. This is the gift I want us to look at today and try to understand. Notice Paul writes, if prophecy, if, if you have the spiritual gift of prophecy, then use it or exercise it according to the proportion of your faith. Now, as soon as we read that, we immediately have a fairly significant problem to face, and that is, what kind of prophecy is Paul talking about? What is the New Testament spiritual gift of prophecy? Well, there are four primary views that are circulating out there in Christianity, and I'm confident you have been exposed to all four of them. And when you put them all together, if you've not differentiated them, they can be very confusing. 
So let's look at these four primary views about the identity of this spiritual gift of prophecy. The first view is this. Prophecy is continuing revelation from God. That is, it it began in the first century, it continues through today, and this continuing revelation is equal to the Scripture. Now, this is the view of a a relatively small number of people, a few radical elements in the charismatic movement. They teach that the New Testament apostolic gift of revelation still exists, that those who have this miraculous gift actually receive and speak divine revelation from God. But this view says that the revelation they receive is equal to the inerrant, infallible Word of God that you hold in your hands. Clearly, this is contrary to the spirit of the New Testament and to the finished Word. Hebrews 1 begins by saying, God used to speak in various ways, but in these last days, He's given us His final Word, His Son and the apostles of His Son. And of course, the last book of the New Testament concludes, the the last apostle writing in the 90s concludes the book of Revelation with a warning about adding to the prophecy that has been given, not merely the prophecy of the book of Revelation, but the prophecy that is the total content of the Scripture itself. This is a very small, aberrant view that's out there and should be easily and quickly dismissed. A second view regarding the nature of the gift of prophecy is this. Prophecy is continuing revelation from God. That is, he's still giving it, but it is not equal to the Scripture. This is what most charismatics teach. They teach that the spiritual gift of prophecy has continued, but not at the same level as the Scripture, but at a sort of second-tier level, a second level of prophecy. It's revelation from God, but it's not on the same level with Scripture. And in fact, they would admit that it can and off, can be and often is wrong. In fact, if I had time, I would share some of the quotes with you from, I read this last week from some of the leaders in, in the, the charismatic movement that embraces this modern-day gift of prophecy in which they freely admit, you know, I've had hundreds of prophecies and many of them have been wrong. Wayne Grudem popularized this view. It's a man that we appreciate and respect in many ways. He's written some really helpful things, but Wayne Grudem popularized this view of a second level of prophecy, and he is the most quoted defender of today's charismatic prophecies. Grudem admits that the kind of prophecy practiced in the charismatic movement should never be prefaced with, thus says the Lord. Instead, Grudem says, it should begin with, quote, I think this is what the Spirit might be saying, end quote. Well, I appreciate his deference to the Scripture in that way, but folks, that's not the New Testament gift of prophecy. Ironically, in Acts chapter 21, verse 11, one of the texts that charismatics use to defend the idea that New Testament prophecy is different from Old Testament prophecy, that it's a, it's a sub-tier, a second-level sometimes flawed kind of prophecy, and in fact, Grudem argues that. It's interesting that in that very text, the prophet Agabus uses the Old Testament prophetic formula when he says not, 
I think this might be what the Spirit is saying. He says, this is what the Spirit says, end quote. Since this idea, this, this view of prophecy as, as sort of a not equal to Scripture, but real revelation from God that might be true, might be false, since it's so prevalent, let me just briefly respond to it with a couple of arguments. First of all, it's important to understand that the New Testament equates Old Testament prophecy with New Testament prophecy. There is no distinction in the terms or the language that is used whatsoever. In addition to that, in the book of Acts, references to Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah are interspersed, their their prophecies are interspersed with that of New Testament prophets. Uh, If you want one example of that, you can jot in your notes Acts 15, verse 15 refers to one of the Old Testament prophets, and verse 32 refers to a modern-day New Testament-era prophet who was alive during the writing of the book of Acts. So it's just interspersed as if they are equal in every way. There is no difference in them as prophets or in their prophecies. So New Testament prophecy then is not and cannot be proven to be a second-level fallible revelation. Instead, just as the Old Testament prophets spoke direct, infallible revelation from God, so did the New Testament prophets. Another another argument to use here is that New Testament prophets were to be evaluated against Scripture in the very same way that Old Testament prophets were to be evaluated against Scripture. The reason I say this is Grudem and others make a point. They say, look at those passages in the New Testament where it says that the prophets need to be evaluated. That shows, see, that proves that they might have been wrong. And my response to that is, no, exactly the same thing was commanded of the Old Testament prophets. Their words were to be evaluated against previous revelation. That is exactly what Moses taught. In fact, I want you to turn back with me to Deuteronomy. In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses tells God's people, remember there's no question but what Moses was God's prophet. He went up on the mountain for 80 days and and God's presence was there. There was an earthquake. There was God's voice spoke from the cloud. So there was no question but what Moses spoke for God. He was God's prophet. But Moses tells us in the book of Deuteronomy that there would be prophets who would follow him. And he gives here three criteria for evaluating whether those prophets who came after him were true prophets or false prophets. Let me give you these three criteria so you understand. Here's how you discern a true prophet from a false prophet. The first one is found in Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18, and here's the criterion. A true prophet's predictions must always come true, without exception. A true prophet's predictions must always come true. Look at Deuteronomy 18, verses 21 and 22. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? How do we, how do we look at two men and say one of them is a false prophet and the other is a true prophet. Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So here's the first test of a true prophet. 
everything he says comes true. He's not, he doesn't have a batting average of 50%. Or as some of the charismatic prophets even are willing to admit, he doesn't have a batting average of 20%. He bats 100%. That's a true prophet. And if, it's, if, he, if anything he says doesn't come true, then what is he? He's a false prophet. Or at the very best, he is a true prophet speaking falsely at that moment. There's a second criteria in Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 5, and I'm going to read it for you in a minute, but I just want you to see the first couple of verses say that a prophet may perform a sign or a wonder, one that comes true. And here we're reminded of a second criterion for a true prophet. If God chooses to authenticate a true prophet, he might choose to empower him to work miracles, just as he's done with Moses. You remember back in chapter 4 of Exodus, Moses has said, how will they know that that you sent me, God? And God says, I'm going to give you the capacity to work miracles. And God often did that with his prophets, those who spoke for him. And here we're reminded that God might choose to do that. That's criterion number two. If God wants to authenticate them, he'll give them the capacity to work miracles. Criterion number three is right here in the same passage, Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5. And here it is. The true prophet's message will always completely agree with previous revelation. The true prophet's message will always completely agree with previous revelation. It had to be compared to the Scripture that you already had to see if it matched. If it didn't, it was false prophecy. Look at Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true concerning which he spoke to you. In other words, he says, here's what I'm speaking, and I'm going to confirm to you that I'm representing God by working a miracle, and he works a miracle. But what he said was, verse 2, let us go after other gods whom you've not known and let us serve them. Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Instead, verse 4, you shall follow the Lord your God and fear him. How? By listening to his word that you already have, you shall keep his commandments, you shall listen to his voice, you shall serve him and cling to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt, redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from among you. Do you hear what Moses is saying? He's saying, listen, if a guy shows up and says, I'm a true prophet of God, and he works a miracle to prove it, but his message is inconsistent with previous revelation, then reject him. He's not speaking for God. Why? Because the same spirit is not going to contradict himself. The spirit who gave the prophecy. So, the message of a true prophet is to be compared to the Scripture. And if, it's, if it matches previous revelation, then there's another point of evaluation that, that fits. This is true in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, speaking now of New Testament prophets. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. 
Judgment on what? Not how well he spoke, but the content of what he said doesn't match what God has already said. In 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 20 and following, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, that which agrees to what God has already revealed, and abstain from every form of evil. In fact, the temporary miraculous gift of the discerning of spirits in 1 Corinthians 12 was an ability to pass immediate judgment on the validity of prophecy that was given in the church. That's why it's connected to the gift of prophecy there in 1 Corinthians 12. So understand then that these two views of prophecy simply don't stand up to the Scripture. So let's look at the third view of the gift of prophecy. The third view is in the New Testament era, the gift of prophecy included revelation, but today it is exclusively the capacity to teach the biblical revelation in the Scripture. There are many non-charismatics who hold this view. This view argues that in the New Testament, the word prophecy is really used in two ways. First of all, it's used of the apostles and others in the New Testament era who had the miraculous ability to receive and to speak divine revelation. And then secondarily, this word prophecy is used, they would argue, of those now who have the gift to teach and preach the divine revelation that's already been received through the apostles and the New Testament prophets. Here's how one defender of this view puts it. Quote, the meaning of prophecy, that is, is simply that of speaking forth or proclaiming publicly. Since the completion of Scripture, prophecy has not been a means of new revelation, but is limited to proclaiming what has already been revealed in the written word. Now, this is the position of many sound biblical expositors, and I need to admit to you that it very well could be what Paul is saying here. But I join in holding to a fourth view along with most of those I have read, and that is that prophecy is this, true biblical prophecy in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Here's the fourth view. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, true biblical prophecy is always revelation directly from God. Whenever you encounter the word prophecy or prophet, that's what we're talking about. Now understand that the Greek word for prophet and prophecy is actually not a translation, but it is a transliteration. In other words, the English word comes from the Greek word. The Greek word is prophetes comes from two Greek words, pro, which means before, and phemi, which means to speak. So a prophet is one who stands in front of someone and speaks for him. This concept of prophetes occurs 144 times in the New Testament. 123 times it refers to the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah. 21 times it refers to New Testament prophets, those who ministered during the New Testament era. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series, Gifted to Serve. Tom will have part four for you on our next program. Join us then, won't you? Well, Tom, someone may be wondering how to know for certain what gift or gifts the Lord has granted to them to serve. What do you suggest? 
You know, Bill, that's a great question, and it's a question that I hear often, and, and my standard response is this. The best way to determine your gift is not to fill out some sort of profile. The best way to come to an understanding of the nature of your gift is to get busy serving in the church you belong to. It's a lot easier for the Holy Spirit to steer a car that's moving than one that's parked. And so just get busy. You know, when I think about the physical bodies we have, we didn't have to have our livers take a personality profile to decide how to function in the body. God made them to function in the body a certain way, and when they start functioning, they fill that role. And the same thing is true for us. And if if we're misguided and misunderstand our own giftedness, then the rest of the body of Christ, the leaders of the church, can help shape us and direct us. But the best way to find that giftedness is just to get busy serving in the church you belong to. Thanks, Tom. And friend, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before, or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website, and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.